Hello, all. Welcome to ADD Masterminds. I'm Bridge of What, and I'm here with Jimmy, the Talking Table. Hello, it is I, Jimmy, the Talking Table. <laughs> I like your Talking Table voice. Is uh, okay. I, I was really trying to do this Theosaurus Rex voice, but I just I'm not sure if I can quite hit that octave. My, I just banged my knee on my desk. Ouch! Maybe For your video listeners. That's why I made that face. <laughs> video listeners video watchers all you youtube people who watch conversations on youtube conversations yeah. that need to be had wait a second no this isn't that show yeah these are conversations that don't need to be had <laughs> <laughs> nobody is talking about what we're getting ready to talk about <laughs> all right hey so uh how you doing with the whole pandemic thing I'm still here. It's it's That's good. always my opening to every podcast episode. How it's are you the most coping? relevant thing? How are you coping with the COVID? <laughs> I'm good. That, I mean, this is just went all NPR all of a sudden, you know. I hate the radio voice thing. Good times. But, good times. I was listening to a podcast today where the guy had one of the guests is totally from radio, and he had that very, you know, radio voice. And part mm. of Man, you're just on the show talking about personal finance. Why are you talking about your radio? Why are you talking in your radio voice? Like, talk yeah, to man. me personally, not like, hi, this is Ted Koppel with whoever Ted Koppel used to work for. <laughs> you know? I think, like, both you and I, though, get told that we have a voice for this, like, podcasting thing. Yeah, I, so I agree. I'm like, but I think I talk like this all the time, so. Yeah, this is my natural inside voice, as well as yeah. my outside voice. I may I may enhance it a little bit knowing that people are listening in their cars. Right. So I'm like, hey, eyes on the road, man. Right. <laughs> so so hey, you so you started small groups. I'm not doing small groups right now, but you guys are doing small groups right now? Yeah. So uh my church, uh, you know, we're still trying to do our best to to meet. Um, mm-hmm. even though with all the COVID restrictions we really can't. Mm-hmm. Um, so my church is encouraging small groups to meet and to do so via Zoom. And we actually just tonight had our first uh, kickoff Zoom meeting, which is pretty exciting for a small group uh, to do. I've never started a small group that way. Um, All I want to do is Zoom, Zoom, Zoom. No, I, zoom, maybe not. Zoom. And it was, it was kind of cool. Had some technology hiccups. Um, but we made it work. We met for about an hour. We talked about Jesus. We talked about our lives. We talked about the church, talked about the sermon, and we prayed. Mm. So... Uh, the only thing we didn't do is we didn't eat and we didn't take up an offering. So I don't know if that counts in the eyes of Jesus for something, but, uh, man, I, I just like the idea of not going anywhere ever. So, I mean, (laughs) I've had to travel a few times this summer and like I booked my summer too solid with work Mm. and then, um, yeah, but I finally managed to figure out how to find some holiday time. So, so I got a bit of time in August that I'll be off, which is nice. Nice. So with uh, your church, are you, how's Canada approaching church stuff? Because I know here in North Carolina. Um, so or... we actually had like kind of an uptake in cases now in Alberta. Hmm. So we had this gradual reopening. We were doing stellar. And then we had kind of this uptake in cases. I think they're still going forward with the reopening though. And hmm. so um, we have... Um, like my church started, I think last Sunday having services that you have to basically like, I think you have to register for to go. 
Yeah. I was like, yeah, I don't want to risk it. I'm good. That, that's, that's actually what my church is doing too. Like, yeah, you go online the week before and you reserve a spot in the sanctuary basically. And they're capping attendance at 200 out of the possible five, maybe 600 people that mm-hmm. could fit in the auditorium. Um, and uh, then they're saying every other row cannot be occupied. And then the people who sit on one row have to sit at least like four chairs apart or something. Yeah. It just, it just sounds like a lot of work. I hate going to the grocery store. Like I wear a mask going to the grocery store and I'm just like, Oh no, no, can't go this way. I gotta go that way. And then you're like, Oh no, that guy got within six feet. And I'm like, I not gonna freak out at him. I don't want to freak other people out though. And it's just, it's stressful. So I'm like, if I could do like my grocery shopping, like via Zoom, I, I'd be good with that. <laughs> well, they make services for that sort of stuff. I don't know if they have them in Canada, but here in the States, you can grocery shop online with various yeah. products and they'll deliver your food. Yeah, we were doing that, like where you pick up in the parking lot and we stopped what? doing that. I don't really yeah. remember why, but we stopped doing that. But like, hey, have you seen, um, have you seen Upload on Amazon? No, what's that? It's another one of those like, it's another one of those TV shows that's like, oh, it's rated mature. So like, you're going to see boobies in it. But Uh like, uh, yeah, so just a warning, there is boobies. Um, (laughs) People like to see boobies. (laughs) (laughs) I just wanted to like keep saying that, doing that with a straight face. Right, boobies. It's just a warning, there's boobies. Um, But uh, yeah, it was, it's great Great show. Um, basically, the premise is that, like, right before you die, if you're rich enough, you can get your consciousness uploaded, and then your consciousness continues in this like um, fake world, basically, like a virtual world. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's it's all futuristic. And one of the futuristic things that they had, and this is the only time reason why I mentioned this, is uh, they actually can print food using a 3D printer. Um, <laughs> Wow. And so this is basically something everybody does, right? Is they 3D print food. And there's this little girl that's sitting at a table of some rich people. And she goes to bite into her chicken and she's like, ow. And they're like, yeah, yeah. Like the animal that chicken comes from, it has bones. And it's like, (laughs) you've never never eaten chicken that wasn't 3D printed. And it's like a rich person thing to actually eat food that's not 3D printed. Wow. But anyways, so I was just thinking, if we could 3D print food, I wouldn't have to go out. 3D print communion wafer cups. Yeah, man. 3D print everything. <laughs> someday, someday. Someday. But anyways, interesting show concept. Yeah. Um, so the idea of being able to upload your consciousness and continuing. And like there's this, this lady who wants her um, father. Her father's, you know, He's, he's elderly and he's, he's sick and she's worried he's going to die soon. And because this girl works at this upload place where, you know, she gets like employee discount, she's trying to convince her father. It's like, get your conscious consciousness uploaded before you die. And he's like, no, no, no. I just want to die. And I want to be with your mother because her mother's already passed away. Right. Mm-hmm. He's like, I, it wouldn't be heaven without her. And I was just like, that's so interesting because, you know, like when he tells people that they're like, oh, you still believe in that? You know? And it's yeah. like, huh? Yes. Yeah, it, 
I don't know. Like, and I, I guess part of me too, is I kind of look at all this and people are just like, yeah, I want my consciousness to continue forever here on earth or whatever. And I'm like, you know, I just feel like at some point, like the world is done with me. Like that was enough. <laughs> that was enough bridge of what for the world. We got all that we could out of them. We yeah, suck yeah. dry until like, they turn into a rock. It's like you, you guys carry on without me. Like there's just no, I don't really have a desire to be around forever. Um, Wasn't like, that uh, capitalism? We're just going to suck you to you dry, you're dry and useless and then discard you as soon as we're, you're no good for anybody anymore? Well, I, I just figure a hundred years is enough, you know? Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to cap it at a hundred. Yeah. I, I feel, yeah. Like, uh, my wife's grandmother is 92 years old. Yeah. Pretty miserable existence right now. I'm like, Hmm. I, I like to live a long time, but yeah, I know. I, I know a lot of people are like, I wouldn't want to live to be a hundred. I'm like, I just want to do it. I think it'd be <laughs> just so you can punch <laughs> the clock. Yeah. 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 I don't know. Yeah, probably the last 10 is really hard, but like, <laughs> I don't know. I, I like people. And so I just be cool to meet lots of people. And so if I live to 100, I'm probably going to meet a ton of people. Right. And, and so, can you so. only imagine what the things you'll be talking about on 80 Masterminds when you're on? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, has anybody seen my walker? <laughs> Where is my walker? <laughs> <laughs> Hmm. All right. So you you wanted to talk about Jesus versus Caesar and the reopening of the church during the pandemic. That won't be political. No, not at all. Not at all. So I I, I but maybe if we just talk about Caesar, we okay. can keep it from being political. I don't okay. Know. Yeah. Well, there is President Bleep and Justin Bleep. That's right. So Caesar Bleep Augustus, right? Or mm -hmm. yeah. No, but like, I, I, it's weird. Like I saw this thing came out with John MacArthur and the Grace to You Ministries and stuff. And, you know, I respect the perspective they're trying to come from. Aren't those dudes like all Romans 13 all over the place? Like they're just like, Ab yeah, just absolutely. do what the government says always. Pretty much. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, except for right now, because they believe clearly. They're like, well, you know, normally we believe that the government has jurisdiction to basically tell us what to do. and We should comply. However... They have overstepped the bounds of their jurisdiction and they have crossed over their temporal authority uh, to transgress into ecclesiastical authority. And as a result uh, of overstepping the bounds of the sphere of the authority that God gave them, um, they are now meddling in church affairs. Um, and as a result, uh, our elders have decided that, uh, you know, Caesar can't have a say around here um, about uh, how we gather. And that's the gist of their argument. I was reading it and I was like, well, you know, I understand that entire like Caesar's not going to tell the church what to do sort of deal. But I find that dichotomy that they're making kind of weird, especially since it's like, well, when you built that magnificent building that you're meeting in that seats 5,000 people so they can listen to John MacArthur, you agreed to abide by the safety and occupational, um, you know, standards that had been set for that building and like every building has, I don't know about Canada, but in here in America, every public building you go into has a occupancy sign somewhere that says no more than X number of people can be gathered mm -hmm. in the premises. Yeah. I think that's time. probably a worldwide thing where you've got yeah. like, you are going to have stated occupancy. Yeah, for sure. Right. And so like that already existed. They didn't, you know, so they've they, reduced, they've reduced the occupancy due to the pandemic. Right. But now all of a sudden that's, you know, a transgression of mm. 
ecclesiastical authority, apparently, uh, to oh, by man. all of a sudden they change what the prior occupation levels uh, were agreed to. But now they're like, no, you can't do that. And they're like, well, you well, can't tell what not to do anymore over that you know, issue. You know, the Bible says not to forsake the meeting of the brethren. So we got to do that. Right, especially since you can, especially when it's possibly 5,000 people getting together. I mean, you know, that's the thing that like boggles Heck, on man, the like if it, what if we had 10,000 people? Like right. if I want to fit 10,000 people in a like 5,000 people building, it's like <laughs> forsaking the meeting of the brethren, if right. not all 10,000 are inside the building. Right. Government can't tell me what to do. The Bible says, do not forsake the meeting of the brethren. Right. So boom. And if we want to meet with all the lights off and have uh, nothing between us and Jesus so that we don't have any modern technology getting between us and the Lord, you know, maybe we should do that and, 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 and tell the government, no, we don't have to have lights and no, we don't have to have reasonable handicap access and, you know, all that fun stuff. Um, yeah, I, the Bible doesn't say we have to have handicap access. Right. So, so clearly, because yeah. we're, we're going to lay hands on people and they're all going to walk. So why do we need handicap ramps? Yeah. <laughs> well, oh, except man. that John MacArthur's church where they don't believe in that stuff anymore. So right, right, because the Holy Spirit stopped doing anything. Right. Wow. Okay. I've really bashed. We've really bashed these people hard. But like, I, I think you know. Grace to you, John MacArthur. <laughs> to me, with all of this, I'm always thinking: How are people being reached with the gospel? Right. And with a lot of this, you know, like Christianity versus Caesar stuff that's going on right now. There are people who are like, we have rights, you know, we've got to, we're being persecuted as Christians. And I'm like, at some level, I do think that like our culture is not friendly to Christianity. Right. Um, our culture doesn't want us, you know, telling people they have to believe what we believe or they're going to burn eternally in flames. Right. I'm like, for some reason, they don't like that. Um, <laughs> And so, yeah, yeah, what, we, what we're trying to preach is, is something that people are not going to be friendly to. And, you know, the media will kind of turn a blind eye to a lot of things that are going on. I mean, they don't talk much about, like, persecution that's happening in other countries and stuff like that to Christians. And so there, at some level, there is, there is some pushback on Christianity. Sure. Um, when we cry persecution, though... That doesn't do anything except build up our tribe, you know, yeah. like take our tribe and solidify us as us versus them. That's what I see. And then, you know, anybody who's outside of our tribe is like, these guys are idiots. I don't want anything to do with them, which to me is not us looking, um, not being wise in how we appear before outsiders. Yeah. To me, being wise in how we appear before outsiders is to say, all right, everybody's freaked out about this pandemic. So how can we be a voice of empathy? How can we be a, you know, people who are saying we're listening? Right. I, I remember I posted on Facebook, I was like, it's okay to admit that you're afraid. And I had like a friend reply, God has not given us a spirit of fear and all this stuff. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. This is the problem. This is the exact problem I'm trying to address right now. And it's like there's Christians who at some level are shaming people for being fearful. Right. But only if they're fearful of the disease. 
being fearful right. of the government that's totally cool <laughs> right. and, and and god has given us a spirit of fear of the government <laughs> controlling us which is why we need our ar-15s and all that fun stuff because but the, you know who's but afraid of, you, of the government if you have an ar-15 right but we don't get political so yeah. but, but this is the thing is, is is i'm kind of looking at this and i'm like okay so how can i be a voice of empathy how can i be someone who's here to listen and i want to demonstrate that it's like look I'm not even going to tell you whether I'm scared to die or not. I'm sick of Canucks. Of <laughs> Canucks. I'm sick of Christians going around saying, "Well, I'm not afraid to die. I'm not going to wear a mask." And it's like, "Are you afraid of killing someone?" Mm. You know. And I'm like, and even at that, you know, like when you're telling people, "I'm not afraid to die," you're actually um, shaming people who are. Right. And I'm like, I don't think that's what the world needs to see. Because again, it's like, oh, I want to be like those Christians who aren't afraid to die for some weird reason, because they believe in this like, fairyland right. that we're all going to go off to. Right. <laughs> you know, like it's, it's just not helpful. Because I, right. I believe that if we can demonstrate to the world that God is love, first and foremost, that will draw people to him. Right. And so, I mean, like any pushback I give on people for being, you know, being very North American Christian, stand up for our rights and need to push back on the government because they won't let us sing in church, you know, and, and making this all about persecution, all this stuff. I'm like, I, this is not like, first of all, like, I don't think you guys are going to win against the government on this um they've got the guns they're pretty bent on this idea that corona is real right whether it is or isn't because we don't get political i'm not going to say whether it is or isn't but the government is convinced that it is right and so the more we push against this the more the world looks at us and says i want nothing to do with these people because they don't care about my safety and so, um, yeah, so I mean, when, when we encounter stuff like this, and I, I'm sure there's a point where it's like, okay, the government's taken over too much. Um, they're tracking us, which I'm like, well, every app we have basically <laughs> is tracking us anyways. Right. But I, I do think like, I do think there's a possibility that the government could seize control of too many things, you know, given this. I mean, we saw what happened with 9-11, and you know like how we still have security that we have to go through and i can't take like a bottle of toothpaste on my plane with me or whatever which i don't care about but mm -hmm. i mean like i'm sure there's going to be some things you know that don't go away you know from this pandemic but what do we do to push against it you know like what do we do how do we be wise before outsiders and push against it are there things we should be pushing against that we're not because what i'm seeing people push against are ridiculous things and it looks like a lack of empathy to the world sure and i don't think that bodes well for the gospel that's my issue with all of those. i think the thing jesus taught about if somebody forces you to go with them one mile mm, you're yeah. supposed to go with them two yeah so if the government you know makes some irrational demand on your rights um, and, you know, ask you to comply in a way that makes you uh, not feel comfortable, be like, okay, well, we're not only going to cancel our services, but we're going to 
you know, we're going to preach on street corners in the open air, just to, you know, uh, something, something along those lines of, you know, I'm going to spit preach on the corner. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, but uh, find out some, like how else can you go the extra mile online? Cause like when Jesus said, you know, if somebody forces you to go with them one mile, well, I mean, that's a violation of rights. Nobody should be able to force you to go any miles with them if you don't want to go with them. But Jesus is like, no, not only are you going to go the one, but you're going to go the two. And I think in our American, North American Christianity, our very right-centered ideas, like we're so repulsed at the idea of somebody violating our rights, and we push hard against that. But the idea of somehow going the extra mile, well, not even going, we don't even try to go within the one mile let alone the two. And, you know, Jesus said, if you want, I mean, it's, it's kind of almost a trap. If somebody forces you to go one mile and you comply, but then you're just like, no, 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 we're going to go the second. That's going to open that person's eyes. Mm-hmm. And they're going to see that there was something powerful and valuable in what you did and that you were living according to a different ethic and standard that nobody else lives according to. Well, you're also it's- taking their power away. Absolutely. Like, I'm going to stick it to this Israelite by making them walk a mile and the Israelites like, dude, I'll walk two for you. And right. it's like, uh-oh, <laughs> really? Like, I, I don't feel like I'm dominating this person anymore. Right. And so like to take it the extra mile and it's like, okay, well, um, yeah, not only are we going to do zoom meetings for church, but we're also going to get, you know, people in our church, um, making masks for right. the rest of the community you know, or, you know, all these things that we could be doing, offering to clean people's houses for them or whatever, you know, like there's, and I'm like, I want to, I want love to be demonstrated. And it just, it bothers me that we're getting this reputation for being very selfish and more worried about our own rights for our religion than anything else. And that's something I see a lot you know, in how Christians come off in the media. Right. And I know part of it is the media doesn't like Christians. And it's like, okay, yeah, we get that. Well, the world generally doesn't like Christians. The media is a reflection of the world. And so what do we do about that? And I think, you know, like, instead of getting all defensive, and I think that's the thing is like, when you get defensive, it doesn't help things. And we see that when you get like men that are accused of being sexist, um, people that are accused of being racist. Um, I mean, same thing with like homophobia or whatever. As soon as you say, no, I'm not that. People are like, oh, okay, okay, we're good then. <laughs> no, they don't. They're like, you don't think you are, but you really are. Right. And so it's like, so if you're gonna say like, Christians are selfish and they don't care about their neighbors, um don't just say um yeah i do i was at a soup kitchen yesterday or whatever it's like no demonstrate love just demonstrate love i love them enough to squish ten thousand people into a five thousand person auditorium so that they can hear me preach yeah that's right you can only hear the word of god here right i i'm still i don't really get the whole mega church thing it's crazy yeah it's 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 disheartening to see, like, especially from some leaders who are held up in the public sphere of Christianity, like John MacArthur is such a revered leader. And maybe he's done many good things. And I mean, I don't know. I don't interact with that ministry. I, I bet you he's that... performed miracles. <laughs> uh, he'd never tell you about them, though. 
Uh, but uh, you know, he's but, like, you know, I speak in tongues less than any of you. <laughs> Sorry, right. I just I just love the whole cessation thing. It's funny. It's yeah. it's funny, but uh, yeah, I, I, but still, like the entire argument of well, they got to be able to show up and hear us. It's like, man, you're just being selfish. Let's just admit it. You're 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 in love with the size of your ministry, and you don't feel like anybody else can do it in any other way. You don't feel like people could somehow meet in backyards and listen to a podcast of you preaching or something if they really wanted to. What you're actually really worried about is people are going to start listening to other folks and ministries and that unless they have that physical building to come to in order to listen to the man of God on the platform preach, you know, then they're just all going to go to hell in a handbasket. Well, I, I think it's an authority thing too, though. And I think that there could be, there could very well be, um, intention there that isn't really selfish um i think with a lot of these kind of theological caged people right let's go back to the cage thing the cage the old cage get uncaged guys all platforms excellent for bridges of what uncaged um anyways um when we talk about like caged people i think that there is a certain level of you know belief that okay this is the cage this is the cage that god is in and anything outside of this is not god and so when you get into like kind of like um cessationist i'm assuming calvinist you know kind of thinking and it's like okay here's the thing is if if you guys are not listening to john macarthur you're going to get outside the cage right and that's dangerous. Oh, wait, but we're Calvinists, so it doesn't matter, does it? I don't know. Or, or does. I don't know. But I think, I think there is some level of, you know, like, if they're, not, if they're not listening to the right guy, they will be mis- misled. Right. And it's like this idea of false teachers and false teachers leading people away from the cage. And I'm like, and I, I understand that there's fear with that. But it's like, we also got to trust that, you know, like God is sovereign and we got to trust that, you know, like if people actually pursue God, they will find him. And so I, I think that there, that reason for that level of control is not just personality based. I think it's actually theologically based mm-hmm. and they believe that there are dangerous things that can happen if they don't keep that control. But if it's all predestined, you know, if you're predestined to be the elect, you're predestined to listen to John MacArthur. And what's the danger, right? I don't know, man. I don't know. <laughs> we might have to talk to Philip Hurd about this because he's he's all Calvinist. Word. Yeah, he's. I think he gave me some reading material. I haven't gotten to it yet. I'm just like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know, man. I, I, I It's like... Nope, you got to be an Arminianist or a Calvinist. And I'm like, I don't care, man. I, I think that like, I think at some level, it's like God is orchestrating everything. But at some level, we all have free will. And I'm like, I don't really understand how it works. Part of me doesn't really care how it works. Like, I'm just like, I'm just, you know, I'm just exploring stuff. And, you know, like, I know that God's with me and it's great. So, yeah. That's my theology, man. I like I'm an it. Uncaged Christian, brah. Write a book and make it a systematic theology so people can get in your octagon and do the, your dance. Yeah, man. And then I'm gonna be like, if you haven't read my book, you're going to hell. <laughs> oh, that's the tagline right there, man. 
you know, your show, uh, you need to entitle your show what you said earlier, like, are you afraid of uh, people dying or, or are you scared to death of people to die or whatever what you said earlier? That'd make are great. you scared? You're, I'm not, you're not scared of dying, but are you scared of killing people? Right. Are you scared of killing people? That should be today's ADD mastermind show name. Are you scared of killing people? <laughs> yeah, I was actually thinking if you don't read my book, you're going to hell. That's even better. Run with that. If you don't read my book, you're going to hell. There, you will get so many clicks on that. <laughs> so good. We need to All start right. making these catchy, inflammatory titles for our podcast, so people are like, "What? <laughs> I can't miss this." So I'm exhausted over keeping track of which athletes stand or kneel, why and where, before, during, or after national anthems are played. Keeping track of it has become a sport in and of itself. I wonder in the future if Facebook cards which will tell us which players were kneelers and which stood. Man, this whole thing is so silly. Ridiculous. It's like, all right, guys, we're going to get out this piece of fabric. And I want you to respect this piece of fabric. Or and don't respect like, it. <laughs> I was like, you know, and it's like, okay, stand at attention. If you don't stand at attention, you're disrespecting it. And, and this you guy's hate God like, and you hate the troops. Yeah. And this guy's like, okay, well, I'm going to kneel um, in protest. And it's like, that guy is a disrespectful son of a gun. Right. President Bleep said, son of a beep. Right. Um, okay, like, here's the thing. Kneeling. When was kneeling ever disrespectful? Right. That's a good question. <laughs> it used to be a sign of great respect. See, this is why politics is so dumb. And right. I'm like, here's the thing, too. Okay, so originally, originally the first, like, when they first started playing national anthems at the beginning of sports games, it was football. And um, basically... They had a gathering and they're like, hey, we got a band. Why don't we play something everybody knows? Oh, what does everybody know? Oh, the national anthem. Let's play the national anthem. And initially, that's the only reason why they played the national anthem. So they've kept doing it, kept doing it, kept doing it. And now we have like fiercely polarized people that are like saying, this national anthem is played for the troops and you stand at attention. If you don't stand at attention, you hate the troops. And it's like, all right, so why don't we just like, can we just get rid of the national anthem? Like, <laughs> you know, people are like, why are they making, why are they making sports political? I'm like, I think you made sports political when you decided to play the national anthem. So just stop playing the national anthem and sports will not be political anymore. Hashtag I mean, if I wanted to deep, if I wanted to deep fry a bald eagle and put it on my smoker, you know, bald eagle being the, 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 the national bird or whatever of America, would that be disrespectful to the troops? I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I'm trying to find that, um, that line and know how far is too far here. Can I deep fry? A, I, I like how eagle? you explain that. It's right. like, it's the, it's the national bird of America. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We know. Okay. <laughs> Well, I, I know that. We also uh, yeah, know what your flag looks like. I don't, I we don't also know, know what your song is. Does Canada have a national bird? I think the loon. Like I don't even Canada know what goose. a loon is. Like the Canada goose. Oh, really? Oh, hmm. I guess. You guess? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad then, you know our, our bird. Our, I didn't. I wanted, our I national bird is the beaver. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> 
but yeah, I mean, like, when are we going to start out? Like, uh, I don't know. I, get, I find the entire song and dance exhausting. It's hard to keep up with. Like, maybe the next time, like, Judge Judy or something goes on TV, she, she, she should be like, and, you know, they normally say, all rise when the judge walks in. Maybe they should just be like, all kneel. Like, could you imagine that? All bow, bow to your sensei. I'm, you know? I'm so confused <laughs> because people are, like, all upset at all the white people that were kneeling at the protests too and they're yeah. like you should not bow before any man i'm like yeah but bowing's disrespectful so they were actually sticking it to right. black lives matter by kneeling right 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 yeah. right I, I don't know though mm -hmm. it's it's all silliness i mean all of this like politics becomes like high school it's just it, it might even be dumber than high school i'm not sure but i'm <laughs> I'm just like, this is oh, it's all so silly. I'm Everybody like, oh, so what are we mad at now? Like, what are we supposed to be? I yeah, I don't know. It, like, you guys fight it out. I I don't really care at this point, uh, especially in America. Like, it's got. I I'm not voting for any of those people. <laughs> You're not voting for Trump I, or Biden. I, I don't you? even like. I don't even know if I'm gonna vote for anybody in Canada at this point. Uh, I'm just like, uh, yeah. But right now we got like uh, our opposition leader. He's um, he's resigning because there was a scandal where he like used a bunch of money to fund his kid's education that he really wasn't supposed to. So they got like a leadership um, thing going on. And uh, in the middle of all this, I guess today he just called for pre prime or for uh, Justin Bleep to resign. Like, just today, he said, I'm calling for him to resign. I'm like, I think this might be, like, the fifth time he's asked him to resign. Like, I'm like <laughs> what does this even mean anymore? Like, who cares? Yeah, it's, it's so silly. I'm just like, this is, this is, like, a really bad reality show. And I hate reality TV. So I, I'm just like, yeah, whatever, man. Whatever. You know, you should really freak people out by, and you should have a game with it by uh, telling everybody that, you know, you're going to vote for Joe Biden in the coming election. And then people are going to be like, well, John, aren't you Canadian? And you're going to be like, and no. <laughs> That's why we got to have those write-in votes, yo. <laughs> right. Like, wait a second. You mean I wasn't, I wasn't supposed to vote last time. What? <laughs> okay. So uh new sports franchise names. What's cause there's the Charlotte football club for minor league soccer. Major What's it league called? Club. The Charlotte Football Club. Oh, they call it the Charlotte Football Club? Yes, it's a Major League Soccer. I don't know if they have Major League Soccer in Canada yet, but I don't know if you guys do. Do you guys do I thought soccer? Vancouver, like, had a team, but, oh. yeah, I don't know. I don't know, but don't in America, it's starting to get pretty popular. Like, you know, soccer is becoming a Major League Soccer's sport. Soccer's weird, though. Like, like the names they have for them. Manchester right. United. It's like... But they don't even have real names anyways. But but here in Charlotte, they just announced Charlotte has a, a brand new franchise for um, Major League Soccer. And after much, you know, research and investigation and talking with consultants and focus groups and all that sort of stuff, they decided the name of Charlotte's new Major League Soccer team should be the Charlotte Football Club. Well, that's... Um, well, isn't like uh, Washington renamed their team a temporary name? It's the Washington the, Football Club. The Washington Football Club. <laughs> so I'm very confused with all these so names. Big, you know, I'm so disappointed in them because, like, so basically, I don't know if you ever watched the show Kimmy Schmidt. Um, yes, I've seen a little. 
Okay, so Kimmy Schmidt, she's, I don't know how they got away with this, but the blonde girl in it, she's supposedly indigenous. Hmm. And um, she gets really mad at Washington for the name of their team, which I, I won't repeat on the podcast. Right. Like, why should I? Um, but anyways, I don't want to get political. No, um, no. But, uh, but anyways, so they are all like, she says we need, to, she's like dating a guy who's in the family that owns that team. And so she says, you guys need to change your name. And she does all this stuff to try to get them to change their name. And they're like, well, here's the thing. We like the name because it's controversial. The fact that the name is controversial <laughs> is selling merchandise like mad. And so she says, she, so they're like, so we need to change the name to something else controversial. And she's like, well, what about this? The Washington Gun Takers. <laughs> So I have tweeted Washington <laughs> twice. I'm like, just call them the gun takers. Like right. W with like two right. guns on it. All right, oh, there you go. Great. Like All right. I really yeah, have somebody with like so arms good. crossed, arms crossed, guns <laughs> like this. You know. <laughs> See, like, yeah, I, I don't know. I just think it's great. But anyway, that's great. But yeah, like, so Charlotte had the football thing. But you know, what I really like the name. Excellent name. I think Charlotte Football Club is a stupid name for Major League Soccer, especially considering the soccer football confusion and the fact that we have an NFL franchise called the Carolina Panthers. The other thing I don't get name. about soccer is like their uniforms aren't really like great. Like they don't really display right. a logo on them. So I'm like, if you have a soccer team, who cares what you call it? You might as well have hockey, a men's jersey. I love hockey because it's like you got that logo that's like prominent on the front. Right. That's why hockey's the best sport, right? It's like I, I like the logo on the front and everything. And they generally try to come up with good names. Like, I love the Seattle Kraken. I, I, I think it's a great name. I thought Golden Knights was a dumb name. Yeah. I, I think Kraken's a, a great weird. name. Yeah. Get Kraken. I will say the Golden Knights have a nice color. I love their goalie's helmet. Their goalie has the best helmet in the league. Oh, man, yeah. Um, okay. Am I going to watch sports? I think I'm going to try to watch hockey. Yeah. August um, 1st. When it comes back, it's really the only sport I watch. It'll but I'm like now, so I, I uh, got a new PlayStation. I got the four again, so it's like, mm -hmm. well. But um, I'm playing NHL 20 now, and I, I made the 32nd expansion team actually out of Hamilton. <laughs> Instead of Seattle, I was like, forget Seattle. We're going to have a Canadian expansion team. And my team is called the Hamilton Demise. Mm. And they got like a skull. It's pretty cool. Nice. Anyways. Yeah. So, but anyway, yeah. It's funny. Over the last couple of years, I've gotten so much more interested in like just playing the game on, on EA Sports <laughs> than I have watching it. But my team's in. I think like uh, Vancouver Canucks are going to be playing the Wild. Is Chicago in? Yeah, they uh, they were one of the – they wouldn't have made the playoffs otherwise except for the expanded playoff format that NHL is having. And then it turns out, uh, at least as it stands, I saw in the last news update, is several of their players have now been deemed unfit to play. And that's the new code word now that they're using for upper body injury or lower body injury or some other vague injury. They're just saying unfit to play because the – uh, NHL Players Association union people, you know, decided that they didn't want their players' bodily injuries and medical issues being broadcast publicly to be read about on the news. They wanted to, 
you know, maintain their right to privacy over their medical issues. Um, and so instead they've come up with the term unfit to play. And I'm like, you know, I don't know how that sounded in French when they originally wrote that contract. Um, maybe that sounds better, but when it translates into English, unfit to play makes it sound like Corey Crawford and Jonathan Taze like gained 20 pounds over the past three months. And like now that there's just these bloated guys who can't even get their hip pads on because their guts are protruding over. Like that's, that's what I imagine when the or they're intoxicated, right? Like unfit to play like, Oh man, they just, it sounds like somebody just let themselves go. And I was like, look, that's such a look, terrible look, play. Corey, you're in no shape to play, man. You right. like, you did way too many. You had way too much beer on your cereal this morning, sir. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, like, so like in the oil field, we have to do like, um, like some sites you have to go to. Um, you have to do like drug and alcohol testing, right? And so I actually had drug and alcohol testing, you know, set for later this month before I went up to site. And I'm like, alcohol testing like really so like the trick is like make sure you don't have a beer the morning before <laughs> i have like picture this guy it's like well what am i gonna put on my cereal then right <laughs> i wonder if they do uh, alcohol but, drug testing in russia you know you know what's the weirdest thing though about like doing like the the um drug testing is that like you go into like the bathroom you know give them your, like, create the sample. <laughs> and then you have to come back out with a, like, jar right. of your urine. You pass it to the lady, and the lady then handles it. And then she puts, like, a like uh, sticker on it to show that it's not been tampered with. Right. And so I'm like, this is just the most awkward thing. Here, here's my pee. <laughs> This isn't weird. How do you get that job? <laughs> I remember saying to a coworker, hey, man, I don't know if I'm going to be able to go pee. Can I borrow yours? <laughs> but I, I mean, I don't even drink. So it's like, yeah, whatever. People used to sell the stuff on eBay so that you could pass your drug test and then eBay. Oh, yeah. There's like ways like you have like a bag or something like that and you can right. keep it warm. So then right. when you pass it to the lady, it's not weird for her because it's not cold. She's like, mm, right. She's like yeah, this seems... This seems like normal temperature urine. <laughs> that would be weird. No, this urine doesn't feel warm enough. <laughs> I think like if I had her job, I'd make it purposely awkward. I'd just be <laughs> looking at it, tapping it. <laughs> you seem a little dehydrated, sir. Right. <laughs> you ever like, you ever go to the bathroom and there's like the different shades of yellow to tell you whether you're dehydrated or not? Uh, I've never seen that, but I understand that. Like, if your pee is really yellow, then you're dehydrated. And if it's very fluid, you're, or if it's very translucent, you're, uh, you're very hydrated. Yeah, they have that like on industrial sites sometimes. Like, rarely. I've I've been to a couple <laughs> industrial sites where they'll have that yeah. and they'll show it so that like when you're at the urinal, like this is so toilety. <laughs> but anyway, I'm gonna take it a step further. And, and and my buddy, I said to him, I wonder if they have one in the other stalls. There's like different <laughs> of brown. It's like it's like red. It's like go see a doctor. Unless you had beets. If you had beets, you're okay. Right, right. So I, I've been reading, I've been doing this audiobook, um, and it's called Jesus And. And it's by um 
Oh man, I forgot the guy's name. Oh well. Anyways, it escaped me. But um, he was talking about like, what did you have to do to be born? Nothing. Nothing. So then he's like, so what do you do to be born again? And I was yeah. like, wow. I, I never so thought about like how it's not an effort thing. Right. That's so Calvinist. Weren't we just well, talking bad about Calvinism? That said, what was really fascinating is later on in the book, and this is what I love about the Bible, is that like people will just go on one tear and they'll just be like, oh yeah, well, I don't have to do anything ever, ever. Right? Right. And he said like, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. For if we forgive others, we will be forgiven. If we don't forgive others, we will not be forgiven. And he's like, oh, that sounds like works-based salvation. And I'm like, that is insane. Like to think that that Bible actually says that. And here we are like saying, oh, salvation is a free gift. And like, who cares? Well, see, and the thing is, I think the, the entire point of the new birth and justification by faith is that when you have that, experience that experience will come at a crossroads of you actually having to decide to do something like you know you could sit here and say well you know if you were like really look at justification from faith from paul's perspective and put it in jesus's mouth you might feel like there's a bit of a disagreement there because jesus sounded very works-based and what he said but i think if you actually read and understand like i said i'm more of an apollos guy than a paul guy so <laughs> right but i think if you understand jesus correctly like when Jesus told the man that if you wish to be saved, you need to sell everything you have and give it to the poor. I mean, that sounds on surface level like works-based, but that's actually the ultimate demonstration of faith. And Jesus realized that man would not have faith were it not for him to sell everything he had and give it to the poor and that it would take faith for him to do such. But because he didn't have that faith, that he couldn't do such. And so, you know, I, I think when you try to disconnect faith into this make it into this just part of a formula thing this this cage thing these magic words thing like you talk about on your album ah uh you know um you know it, it becomes divorced from the actual teachings of jesus and really even what paul believed um you know if you have faith you know you're gonna look and behave a certain way as a yes. christian and it's it's ultimately going to produce a fruit and a life that comes from God. And, you know, when we, like, I remember talking to somebody um, who once has appeared on this podcast uh, and I was talking about, well, you're just preaching a cheap grace. And he's like, no, I'm not preaching a cheap grace. I'm preaching a free grace. And like, it was trying to one up the entire argument with um, some sort of form formulaic thing all over again. I was like, part of me is like, man, are you like even really saved? Because, you know, the, the fact that you just reduce grace to a pure formula um, just to plug into your little equation just so you can somehow objectively know that you're saved because you followed the rules and said the magic words um, or didn't say the magic words or whatever your formula happens to be. Um, it's like, no, no, that's, that's not faith. Faith is go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Yeah. Faith without works is dead. Right. And I remember, um, you know, like, and this is the thing, and I think when we talked about like John MacArthur and kind of the John MacArthur cage and how I think that there is legitimately 
a significant amount of people within that movement that are like, don't go out of the cage, it's dangerous. Right. And um, they legitimately care about people and they want to make sure people stay inside the cage because it's safe. And um, I remember I met a guy who was, I think it's United Pentecostal. Mm-hmm. And they're like, all the women had to wear these long dresses and everything. And um, he said to me, so when you were baptized, were you na- baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, it should be the name of Jesus or you're not saved. <laughs> right. And I'm like, oh. And I'm like, that's crazy. It is. And I'm like thinking, I'm not in heaven based on a technicality. Like, that right. sucks. I, I, I like go to home and I'm just like, like so I'm going home and I pray and I play Bible roulette. I did that a lot, you know, when I was a teenager. And I opened it up and it said, if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and you confess with your mouth, you will be saved. I'm totally butchering the verse. All right. But what really hit me was confess. And it's like to confess, like in that moment, I knew that confess was not just words. To confess means it actually has to be true. For it to actually be true that Jesus is Lord, if you're going to confess that Jesus is Lord, he's got to be Lord for reals. And it's like, so it's like your action will demonstrate that. Right. And I think being born again, it's like you're coming out of that living water. Like you're flowing from that living water. The uh, I always like to confound those guys when they ask, like, what name you were baptized in, and be like, I don't know, I was underwater. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. (laughs) And they're like, well, wait a second, and like, or or when I went to my Uber Pentecostal Bible College, and they're like, well, when you got filled with the Holy Spirit, did you speak in tongues? And I would, I I honestly don't remember. Um, and uh, I've said as much, and they're like wait a second, you don't remember if you spoke in tongues that time? I'm like, no, I was just so caught up in the presence of God that I don't really remember uh, when I got filled with the Spirit of what happened when I got, that happened. And uh, they're like, well, have you spoken in tongues since then? And I was like, yeah. And they're like, okay, you're good. <laughs> I was like, well, I'm glad I jumped through your magical hoops. And, and that's the only reason you're not going to ordain me in your dumb denomination because I didn't answer the question correctly, even though I speak in tongues with more than all of you. <laughs> oh, humans and their silly stuff. I think the other thing that I think, so theologically, like we get hung up on so many things and I'm just like, okay, how about this? God is love. Can we go with that? And it's like, and, and, and encouraging people to pursue love. And right. I mean, like now I'm like, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father but through him. Right. I was thinking about that today, and I'm like, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. This is going to take me a while for me to really look at this with fresh eyes, because I know it's funny. I tell people, I'm still trying to figure this out. And they're like, oh, no, no, this is the explanation. And I'm like, no, no, no. I don't want your church explanation. Mm-hmm. I want a fresh revelation of what this means, which I think for people that aren't weird like me, <laughs> they're just like, oh, no, no, no. It's simple. And I'm Very like, it's uncomfortable. Simple. You're on your way to becoming a Richard Rohrer universalist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm thinking, though, the way the, the, way the truth in the life and going through him is not just like use these words, use these magic words. Right. 
I, I think it's actually, it's a lifestyle. It's actually doing things his way. Right. And it's like, and it is that living water flowing through you. Right. And so it's like, I want to get in that flow. The Richard Rohr float. No, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so I'm, I, I've been thinking about that. Um, and so a lot of this like kind of caged thinking where it's like, oh, well, you got to, you got to have, you know, the right word spoken over you when you're baptized or you got to have the evidence of you speaking gibberish. Um, <laughs> you know, like, it's like, right. I mean, this is speaking in tongues. I'm like, I, and I, you know, I've experienced it and it's cool. And like the way I see speaking in tongues, it's like um, when I was a uh, teenager, I decided that men don't cry. And so I never cried. Um, and when I was dating my wife, she kind of, we had this like moment where she was talking to me and, um, she was kind of digging below the surface into my psyche and she made me cry. And it was like these floodgates opened up and it was like, I was able to express something I wasn't able to express for like five years. Mm. And it was just so powerful. And I'm like, so when, you know, a couple of years later, I spoke in tongues for the first time and it was kind of the same thing. It was just an expression of my soul and mm. it was such a beautiful thing. And so like, to me, I don't understand why people have to have that as evidence so much as it's a pretty cool tool to have because right. it's like when you don't have the words to express something, you can express it in tongues. You know, I, one thing I like, I forget the name of the book. It's a, pretty popular book on the trinity right now it's kind of like a layman's book to the trinity i forget the name of it i've read like half of it and it's, it's really good i i mean keep intending to finish it but um you know the author you better talks, finish it so you don't go to hell right no <laughs> <laughs> but the author talks about you know the baptism in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit and he's like when jesus talked about being baptized into the name of the father and the spirit he was he didn't just have you know, envisioning a, a, a special magical formula being, in, in, you know, recited over you as you were baptized. But he was talking about being baptized into the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and the life and everything that they represented. It wasn't just a formula, but it was a new authority, a new way of life, a new flow, a new everything. It was just a totally immersive experience into everything that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit represent. Um, and I was like, yes, that is the answer. That's what God's really looking for. Like, stop talking about these silly formulas and just get in the flow of, yeah. of, of, of that and immerse yourself. Um, you know, it was, it's a common illustration that uh, a lot of Pentecostal preachers will use to talk about what the, the over the, uh, fullness of the Holy spirit is like. And they're talking about like, well, this is what life in the Holy Spirit's normally like. You have a glass that's full of water. And they are talking about, though, how the baptism of the Spirit, though, is like a glass that's overflowing with water. And like somebody's just pouring it and the, the glass just can't contain uh, the water that is being poured into it. And that's what happens at baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that's why you manifest it's, uh, the, the power of the spirit and, and demonstrable ways. Um, and I was like, you know, that's that I find that a very awesome illustration, even if they get some of the theology wrong with it. It's um, so, you know, it, and I think the weird thing is like, cause I started out on the outside of the charismatic movement right. and I felt like there was a sense of superiority within it. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, well, you guys just got enough Holy Spirit to fill up the cup or maybe half yeah. fill the cup, but I got so much Holy Spirit, it's overflowing and people are falling <laughs> over and, right. you know, it's like I'm touching people and they're falling and, you know, and so like, I think, yeah, I, I always had some difficulty with that. And I remember at one point I was like, you know, I don't want, I don't want any of those weird gifts, like the weird <laughs> things, you know? I want to have the gift of evangelism. I want to be able to, I want to be able to talk to people and share this living water. Right. And um, I guess maybe it happened. I don't know. <laughs> but um, yeah. And so like I, but I think that overflow doesn't have to be tongues. Right. And I think that's the mistake that the charismatic church has done because I think like if that overflow is love, if that overflow is a love that people are like, I don't understand why this guy just has so much love for everybody. I mean, you ever, do you know who Bob Goff is? Yes. See that dude overflowing with love constantly. Absolutely. And I, I remember uh, there's a scene in um, the Simpsons where he's like, where Homer's like, well, uh, if you guys are looking for me, just look for the happiest man in town. And this <laughs> other, and it, it like, it like kind of pans over to this other guy and this guy's got this big smile. And he's like, Oh, Oh no guys. He's not talking about me. He's talking about himself. And I was like, that's Bob Goff. And I actually tweeted that one day. I'm like, Bob Goff is like the happiest man in town on the Simpsons. Right. And he, and he, I don't remember if he liked it or retweeted it. <laughs> He might have retweeted it. And it was so funny because I'm like, he totally is. And I'm like, see, there's people like that that just have something. They, they have something and it's very attractive. And it's like, that's the overflow. And I think that's more so the overflow than what charismatics typically say where it's like, you know, the guy that's like walks into the room. Actually, there was a guy who had like so much of the glory of God that people would weep in his presence. And I'm like, what? right wow that is a stupid superpower i'm sorry like yeah i i agree (laughs) you know i I agree like i mean like sometimes i would tell some of the folks in the pentecostal stuff like i would look at them and say it kind of in a cocky way but i would look at them and say i'm more pentecostal than you are and you don't even know it and things like that and i'm just like but it's true because you're, I mean, I know it sounds so self-righteous and everything and maybe there is a tinge of it, but you know what they're engaging in, in this need to be correct and have every eye dotted and he crossed. Yeah. There's nothing more self-righteous than making sure all your eyes are dotted and your T's are crossed and that every box has been checked so that you can validate yourself in this religious experience. Um, when in reality, it's more like what you're saying. It's about just the overflow of the life of God in you. And that creeps into your everydayness of life. Um, and it's not just meant for, um, you know, explosive moments and emotional moments at church when all the lights are on and the stage is set. Yeah, man, joy. Joy is a beautiful thing. And sorrow is a beautiful thing. I'm such an Enneagram for it's ridiculous. You know, actually, I just started thinking about your tears thing. It reminds me, I wish I could remember it, but there, I remember when I was reading on initial physical evidence of the gifts of the Holy Spirit or of the baptism of the Holy Spirit in Bible college, there was one author out there who had a very unique interpretation. And he said, 
the evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not tongues, but it is tears. Mm. And I was just like, ooh, that just took me back, you know, 20 years ago to Bible college. <laughs> I don't remember who said it or what the book it was, but I remember reading that. I was like, well, that's pretty wackadoodle, but <laughs> now it makes more sense. Make people cry. <laughs> well, Jim, I don't know, man. Jim Baker was really good at that. So was Tammy Faye. They cried all the time. There's some serious, like, there's some serious sacred moments. Um, you know, like, and I could be watching a movie. I could be listening to a song. Um, it was funny. I got some really good feedback on the new album. To get good. back to that. But, um, <laughs> and this one guy was, like, saying, oh, man, the gut punch with hope. And, you know, that last song. And um, I was saying to him, I'm like, you know, there's that point where it's like, are you there? Do you care? And I love like the emotion that kind of came into it, like the way it ended up coming out in the recording. It sounds very genuine, like the emotion sounds very genuine. And I'm like, I just want to cry when I hear that. And I'm like, it's so it's so funny because it's something I made. Why is it making me cry? You know, like normally it should be something that, you know, so I don't know. But I, I, I was thinking about like how, you know, there are, you know, moments in movies. Like I did Hamilton. Um, you've seen Hamilton now? Yes. Right? And there's that moment where um, somebody dies. Because I'm not going to spoil anything. No spoilers. No spoilers. Well, everybody in that show is now dead. Oh man, you know you ruined it for me. <laughs> but no, and there was that moment where that woman just screams out this blood curling scream and I was like that felt so real in that moment. And I'm like this again is just kind of like, you know, getting outside of that cage and finding inspiration outside of our little Christian kind of walls of everything. Right. I mean, it's like Hamilton is not a Christian production yet. I believe the Holy Spirit can work through story. Sure. And it's like, and there's just that moment where I just like, there's that grief and it's like, and there's something in me that wants to understand that pain. And I'm just like, I want to, I want to, I want to absorb this pain and use it somehow. <laughs> and it's like, it's just <laughs> in my nature, you know, yeah. as an artist. And so anyways, so I was thinking, you know, another cage that people get into is um, ranking people and um who's hot who's not yeah who's hot who's not like this is my best friend this is not my best friend right um you're my you bestie god <laughs> i think a lot of times too we look like within our culture and say that guy's a good person that person's a bad person and um i i think you know like as christians how can we get you know caught up into this kind of thinking like when we believe every human being's made in the image of God right. and like the difference between like someone who's saved and someone who's not is Jesus. It's not, you know, the difference is not, you know, I'm a better person. Therefore I have the Holy spirit and that person doesn't. Um, and so like knowing that, like, it's like being able to have that desire for all people to be drawn to God. And it's like, and in within that kingdom mentality, there isn't a ranking. Right. And it's it's crazy to me that we as Christians can get caught in this whole rankings thing. I saw one Christian person I follow on Twitter who 
had a poll of, you know, four, four uh, most corrupt presidents in the history of the United States. And he listed Trump, Nixon, and I forget who the other two were. And I was just like, I asked them, well, what about George W. Bush? And, and like 70% of his poll had voted Trump was the worst. Or President Bleep, I'm sorry, we don't get political. What about uh, Adolf Hitler? Right. Well, they said U.S. That president. Was a he was a terrible American president. Right. <laughs> but, you know, they, they, they were ranking that. I was sitting there like how short-sighted people get about these things and like, you know, the, the, the overwhelming nature of what's happening right now and the media coverage that makes it bigger than life um, and anything that we could possibly absorb in comparison to past presidents. And I was like, yeah, that, that ranking thing is just like, can't we just admit that they were all bad? Like well, I think the problem too, like the reason why the ranking, and I see this all the time everywhere. The reason for the ranking is because if you're able to put somebody down, that lifts you up. That's the mentality, right? So it's like, President Bleep is a terrible person. There, I said it. Now I'm a good person. Right. And it's just so silly. Like, I'm like, I think, I really believe that humility requires a certain amount of confidence. Right. And it's like, so if we're able to stop talking about ourselves, we first need to have a certain amount of confidence that it's okay to disappear for a bit. And like, it's, I, I love this like notion of like confidence, truly confident people make people around them confident you know it's not about me exerting right. my confidence for people right. it's about me figuring out how to make other people confident because you know i'm good my right. cup is full in fact my cup is overflowing right well you know i had that experience in work this uh past week there i, I for those of you who don't know at the the big bad bank that i work for i uh train and audit uh the future underwriters that the bank handles uh, or hires and I teach them everything they need to know to be successful and get up and running and, and uh, get started. But through the initial process of training them, I, before we even give them anything that counts for testing purposes, um, we uh, give them some practice stuff. Um, and we use like 10 practice scenarios to test them on. And we you know, give them feedback and judgment on it. And some of them are pretty easy scenarios. Some of them are very hard. Um, and there's always a pretty good amount of the class that never gets more than 40% right. Um, and, you know, there's always that one or two people, though, who don't feel like they're learning from the negative feedback that they're receiving. They feel rejected. Um, and they feel like, you know, kind of like, oh, man, did I just make a bad career decision by coming over here? Because I just did pretty abysmal. Um, even though they have no idea doing pretty abysmal is pretty normal when you're going through these classes. And, uh, you know, th there's this one lady this week I was dealing with on that and she didn't do the best in the world. She's, she's done better than a lot of other people in comparison, but you know, you could just tell her confidence was completely shot through, uh, the entire experience. And, you know, I, I was talking to her online about it. I was just like, no, you have this. Um, and I wrote, you know, a letter, a letter of recommendation to her manager about her next steps and her training and stuff. And, and she was just like, you know, thanks for believing in me and giving and having confidence in me because I can tell you really know what you're talking about. Um, and if you have confidence that I do well, you know, I think I, 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 I feel like I believe you. Um, and, you know, I, I'm 
does that mean this person is going to be the most successful underwriter in the world? I, I have no idea. Maybe, maybe not. But I feel like whatever confidence and encouragement I gave her through that, um, that, you know, maybe just maybe she might actually make it and actually turn out to mm. be a pretty good underwriter. Um, time will, time will tell, of course. Um, and she may have to learn still yet some hard, painful lessons and feel yet disappointed in her performance, normal nature of the beast, uh, with what we do. But, uh, I mean, I've been there too. And now I'm the big, bad underwriter who like, you know, did 300 loans and not have one fail. Um, you know, and like my rate, my manager's like, you have a hundred percent in your quality rating. I was like, yes, yes, I do. Yeah, you um, almost want to, you almost want to be like, Shh. right. But it's like, <laughs> I, right, exactly. But it's like, I have that confidence and I know what I'm doing and what I'm about and I can pass that on to somebody else. And hopefully that will strengthen them to be who God has made them to be. Well, and I think that happens too, when you're in, you know, a job that the nature is to troubleshoot. You know, and people people are like, oh my gosh, we got this we got this concentration number that's stupid high and and we're all gonna die. And I kinda come in and I'm like, guys, that number's ridiculous. That's not real. <laughs> <laughs> and then I go test them, tell them it's okay, right? And it's just like because I have the confidence, I've seen the numbers before, and I'm like, that can't be real. And then I test and prove that it's not real, right? <laughs> and so sometimes there's a bit of pandemonium and, you know, some confidence will also give people confidence because they're like, oh, no, this guy, this guy seems to know what he's talking about. And he's saying, calm down. So you can bring a calm to a situation with confidence, too. So I guess that's another example, too. Um, all right. Hey, I was, uh, I've been watching um, Rick and Morty. Um, which is like, I don't know, I watch a lot of adult cartoons. I don't know why. <laughs> but yeah. But yeah, Rick and Morty. So I can't recommend this to all Christians. There's no boobies, but there's bums. <laughs> um, and <laughs> do that like dead serious again. See, the video's worth it, guys. I mean, I still don't understand how someone sits through an entire conversation looking at people's faces. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Um, nice. Anyways, so basically, Rick and Morty is kind of based on um, Back to the Future. Like, the two characters are supposed to be kind of like the Doc and Marty. Mm -hmm. um, but, like, very, like, the doc in this case is like an alcoholic and he's always got like drool on his face and and morty is just this messed up like kid who's a teenager and he's got all those teenage issues with like <laughs> girls and stuff and it's just yeah it's not the cleanest comedy in the world but something that uh rick said that i thought was so good he comes in and there's this like crowd um, at, and it's like this big heist convention, all people that are into heist movies and all this stuff. And, and basically the whole thing is like heist movies are dumb. Like the same thing happens in every heist movie. Like who cares? Right. Right. Anyways. So um, Rick comes walking into this big convention and the crowd boos at him. And he says, your boos mean nothing to me. I've seen what you cheer for. And I was like, whoa. Burn. I love that so much because I feel that way so much, you know, where I'm just like, you know what? 
if you guys don't like me, that's fine. Cause I've seen what you cheer for. Like, it's right. like, Oh, you didn't like my album. That's fine. Cause I've heard the crap you listened to. <laughs> you listen to Justin Bieber. What do I care? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So anyways, I just thought that was funny. And I, yeah, I tweeted that earlier today. I think some Ooh, people like retweeted it. I didn't put any quotes on it, so they might have thought it was me that mm. I, I never do that. I always like I, I always like post like quotes from movies or whatever, and if people recognize it, they're like, "Ah, oh, yeah, that's Simpsons." It, that's one thing I love about Twitter social media is it's perfectly okay to violate copyright and uh, <laughs> and uh, and to plagiarize people's stuff and pass it off as your own. Isn't that great? Yeah, I don't like I I would never like tweet something that someone else is tweeting like mm. I without crediting them but like lines from a movie or lines from a song i'm just like it's just fun to post it up there and most people who like have you know a cultural background will like look at it and be like oh yeah yeah that's the beatles but like somebody that's not got a cultural background will be like wow bridge is a little really clever i don't know (laughs) speaking of beatles my dad turns 64 tomorrow and uh He's just, he's been itching to do it for years, but I guess there was a Beatles song about turning 64. And, yeah. uh, and uh, he sent my mom the, the Beatles song uh, about turning 64. And I listened to it. I was like, oh, I didn't even know that was a song. And oh, you're turning 64 tomorrow? Ouch, that sucks. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Last one. Is ADD Masterminds an acceptably woke name? I mean, the word master implies some serious socially and historically problematic issues. Right. Have you ever thought about how this may negatively influence people who don't have the same privilege you and I have, John? But the idea is mastering your mind. Is it? It's still it's still a play. It's still a play on words, John. It's a very slippery slope. Very slippery slope. I really wish Theosaurus Rex was going to be here tonight. I I specifically put that out there, hoping he would be able to 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 really run with it because he'd be like, yes, yes, yes. But nope, he's he's not able to make it. He's on his way to extinction, I think. Yeah, you know, normally though, like honestly, like if somebody does come to me with something that's problematic for them. Like I, I tweeted, um, I tweeted one day, I'm like, I really like chick drummers. <laughs> and this lady responded to me and she's like, yeah, you shouldn't call women chicks. Like you're referring to them as animals. And I'm like, oh yeah, I didn't know that was a thing. I'm sorry. So did you say, okay, toots or okay, babe? <laughs> no, you know, I was thinking about it and I'm like, okay, so what in me, like I, I like, the sound of the term sure um and i've heard women respond to it that way right you know like even it's like oh look it's a chick bass player cool and i'm like okay so i don't need to use that word i'm not gonna get mad at a lady for using that word i'm probably not even gonna get mad at a man for using that word but i don't need to say it and i'm like it's funny because my um i was i was talking to a family member about this and they were like I just feel like I can't say anything without people being offended. Right. And I'm like, I don't experience that like at all because I'm careful with my words. And I mean, that time I used the CH word 
and it bothered someone. And I'm like, okay, well, I can just wipe that from my vocabulary. I don't need to use sure. it. And so, like, honestly, if somebody really thought that it was racist for us to call this ADD masterminds, I'd consider changing. I don't care. Like, I'm like, whatever. But I mean, I know you're being facetious with this. Yeah, of but I'm like, I, I don't really, um, I don't know, man. If they rename my cereal because there was a background where, you know, somebody like, you know, there's a story with it that I didn't know. And it's like, it's not Lucky Charms anymore. Right. We're going to call it something else. And it's like, well, if it still tastes like Lucky Charms and less people are upset, I don't care. And I think, you know, like when people get, you know, upset over things changing, I feel like it's more about them and them. Like, I like saying chick. It just, I like how it rolls off of my tongue. Right. And so it's totally worth it to offend somebody else just because I like the way it rolls off my tongue. And I'm like, <laughs> that's so silly. Like, I'm like, I don't. And I mean, like my rule is don't be quick to offend. Don't right. be quick to be offended. And so, I mean, like, there are ways to offend Christians. Right. And, you know, like, if I walk into the room and someone's like, hail Satan, and I'd be <laughs> like, well, that's your problem, dude. Like, I don't, you, yeah, good luck well, with that. Man. You know, in all seriousness, I, I kind of you're serving the wrong master there, buddy. But, like, whatever. I kind of asked that question, though, kind of facetiously, like you said. Mm -hmm. But, um, but, you know, to some degree, and it goes back to kind of an issue Paul raised with the Corinthians. Um, and I know you're not a Pauline, you're an Apollos guy. Um, yeah, man. But, but like, at, at, you know, about not putting anything that will cause your brother to stumble. Um, yeah. So, like, if I were to drink this beer on your show, yeah. there might be some people who would uh, stumble over that. But at yeah. what point do you draw the line? Because, I mean, there's, what, 7 billion people in the world? There's yeah. 7 billion different ways you could offend somebody today. And if you're, constantly, if you're constantly, you know, if you take Paul's argument seriously, and I, and I do, I, I believe he's right. But I mean, to what degree, at what point do you draw the line and say, you know, it is okay to drink a beer on John's show, um, mm -hmm. you know, and not care about what my weaker Christian brethren would, would think well, about. And, that, you know, that's the funny thing is like, don't offend a weaker Christian brother. Right. So when I hear that, I'm like, okay, I don't want to offend a weaker Christian brother, but I also don't want to be a weaker Christian brother. Right. And it's funny to me that people are like, oh, you know what? You had a beer and that offended me because I'm a weaker Christian brother. <laughs> Look, I'm like, really, bro? Right, right. Like, and I, I, mean, I think, you know, like within Christianity, I want to strive to not be a weaker brother. Right. Um, but outside of Christianity, I don't want to taunt the world for being weaker. Right. Because I think, again, you're not showing the love of Christ. Right. When you're telling the world, I'm going to use whatever words I want. Right. You know, well, Jesus, he cracked a whip. And so I that's kind of like me using the N word in public discourse. Right. It's like, no, it's not. No, well, it's know, not. Like, well, not at all. I, I don't know what the record time on the show is. It's been at least an hour now. So mm -hmm. I want to demonstrate my love to my weaker Christian brother by letting them know I've let my beer go warm for an hour, but I love them enough not to drink it on your show. There you go. <laughs> what a guy. And just so you know, everybody. It's going to be warm. Well, I'm just going to pour it out. 
I didn't even tell him that I, he couldn't drink a beer on my show. Right. I, I, I started. Jimmy's just, Jimmy's just a good person. I, I, and I just so my weaker Christian brother know I only have one. I never have more. Yeah. Maybe two, but never more than two. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, the same, two, I'm the same way with doobies. So, <laughs> hey, it's legal in Canada, so it's not a sin. Absolutely. If it's, it, I mean, that's what Caesar said, right? <laughs> good old Caesar. Hail right. Caesar. But yeah, I actually, I don't do any drugs. Yeah, me neither. I don't really like have a strong opinion on marijuana though. Like I'm like, if I meet a Christian who like does a doobie once in a while, I'm like, I, although I don't really know any, but if somebody said, yeah, I, I do that. I'd be like, my, oh, my, cool. my approach has always been, especially when it comes to drinking, like in moderation that Proverbs you know, says he who gets drunk is not wise. And, and, and to me, that's much more about the state of mind that things put you in. Um, and whether you're truly intoxicated and you have lost control of your mind, because when you're drunk, you've practically, practically speaking, you've lost control. Um, and your control is impaired. And I think when it comes to anything, um, whatever your particular, participating in that it's about control because you know frankly as a christian i don't want to ever not be in control of my life like i've never been drunk one day in my life and or even anywhere close to it and I, it's always been a a thing for me of well i life is so good even when life is bad life is good and because god is in my life i want to experience all the life that i can whereas some of the co-workers i've worked with and friends i've had over the years who come into the office telling the stories of how they can't even remember their weekend because they got so blackout drunk. And me personally, I want to be able to say, no, there's never been a moment in my life that I've forgotten because I've been so blacked out drunk um, that I can't remember my life. And it's one yeah. thing if I just can't remember something because I can't remember it, but like, I don't want, I, I still want to experience life and life fully, a life full of the Holy Spirit that, uh, you know, even if I have a beer, I'm not going to have it to, I'm, I'm just enjoying the beer. I'm not enjoying yeah. the buzz of getting drunk or any such thing. Cause I'm not interested in that. I just, I just think it tastes good and I enjoy it and it helps me relax a little. So, yeah. And I think, you know, like it's the same thing too, when it comes to, um, mental illness yeah. and it's like, there are people who do need a certain level of medication right to deal with life and i don't have an issue with that right you know yeah. and i would never tell anyone you know like you shouldn't do you shouldn't be on antidepressants right anti-anxiety but i know my own experience was you know i i took antidepressants for a bit and i was not myself and i didn't like how it was because no. i was just kind of like huh, oh, whatever and that's, that was my experience. And so instead, for me to be able to acknowledge, okay, there are times when I get anxious. There are times when I get depressed. And I'm starting to realize, you know, I'm starting to recognize the patterns. I'm starting to understand what my brain's doing to me right now. And it was funny. Um, it was actually, we had our camping trailer over here overnight. And our camping trailer... Um, it was on our on our SUV. Our SUV doesn't have like an equalizer bar. And so it's kind of sitting low. Um, parked it in the back alley. Um, 
and um, parking it overnight. And I'm like thinking, that's sitting on the truck all night. Is that bad for the shocks? Hmm. And I was thinking about it and I'm just laying there. I was actually laying in bed thinking about it. And I'm like, I feel really anxious. Is it because of, is it because of the SUV? And then I got an email and an email that was saying, hey, I hope you guys are up to speed on this because this is what you're going to be doing later this weekend and stuff like that. I'm like, oh my gosh, I got to make sure I'm up to speed on this thing. And it was like something really technical. And I'm like, oh, and I got to make sure that my coworker is up to speed because I was teaching this person how to do this and all this stuff. And so I started thinking about it. And then I was like, and then that night popped into my head. It was like, don't be anxious about anything. Instead, bring your petitions to God. Right. And I was like, I'm going to try that. <laughs> and I did it. I fell asleep, surprisingly, after that. And then I started to like, you know, I'd wake up and woke, woke up in the morning and I started feeling this like kind of anxiety rising up again. And I'm like, well, what is this? Why, why is there anxiety? And then I'm like, this is what's happening. Is it starting with an emotional state? And then I'm trying to find a rational explanation for it. So was my truck and trailer really bothering me that much? Or was I just using it? to justify the way I was already feeling. Mm. And it's that classic elephant and rider scenario where it's like the elephant is your intuition, the rider on the elephant is your rationalization. And I'm like, oh my gosh, mm. my brain is playing some serious tricks on me. Right. And um, that's something that commonly happens for people that are on the road. And it probably happens in any job. If you're on the road because your um, environment keeps changing, the people you're working with keeps changing, and so you have this like high level of anxiety. But I'm thinking about it. I'm like, well, what if, what if this anxiety is just just a mental state, and I'm only using my situation to to explain it? When in reality, it's like, okay, all right, God, you're taking care of the truck and trailer. God, you're taking care of the training. And I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start doing that. Mm. I mean, and, and it's so silly because it's like, yeah, I was taught that from, you know, being a little kid. But it's, it's, it's interesting how um, we'll have these things that we're taught when we're children and they don't mean anything. And then maybe as a teenager, it might come up and you'll think about it or somebody will say, hey, you know what? You shouldn't be anxious. You should, you know, and it's like, you're, it's not the right time. It's not the right time. And then the Holy Spirit just kind of hits you the right way with those words. And it's like, whoa, this is a revelation. And it's like, I, I don't know. I don't know if anybody listening is feeling what I'm feeling right now, but it's like, that's, that's it. Mm. And I think a lot of this, what I'm calling my reconstruction, because, you know, everybody talks about a deconstruction and how it's like, I don't know. I don't know if I believe in a literal hell anymore. And it's like, yeah, whatever, like, whatever, dude. Like, <laughs> I, I'm just, I'm not bent on having arguments over, you know, hell or arguments over, <laughs> um, what do you call it? Eternal conscious torment versus right, yeah. annihilationism versus universalism. I'm like, okay, well, like, how about this? Like, if we have faith in Christ, if we are able to have that life abundantly, we don't really have to worry about any of that. 
Um, I mean, you guys can argue that, but you're just going to be sitting in your cages and yelling at each other from your cages. And I'm kind of outside <laughs> the cage, like kind of saying, all right, well, God is love. So how do we pursue that? Um, I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to listen to this when I'm editing it. And it's like, oh, that's where I was going with it. But uh, I just add another please, loop Please forgive me for my ADD-ness. Right. There you go. You're forgiven. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Jimmy, you still got the still got the podcast rolling right now. What's your latest yeah. episode? Jimmy'sTable.com. This last week, episode sixty nine. I had uh, actually a kid that used to be on my Taco Bell Church of God uh, high school ministry from years ago. He's all grown up now, and he's a high school teacher, right? Free uh, teacher, and uh, came in on my podcast to talk about um, virtual learning and homeschooling. And the reason it was particularly interesting is because he used to be homeschooled himself. Now he's mm. a public school, high school history mm -hmm. teacher. Um, so, you know, I thought he had a very valuable um, insight onto who should homeschool during COVID, who should not, um, and just, you know, leave it up to help parents make the best decision for their children um, because each child is ultimately unique and some children might really benefit from doing yeah. the homeschool thing and some might benefit still being plugged into school with the uh, virtual remote learning thing like we're doing in Charlotte and uh, some children still might need the standard you know desk in a rose sort of education and we talk about all that so it was good stuff. Sounds fascinating so when did that one come out is it out already or is it coming uh, Yeah out? it came out this past Sunday. All right. So jimmyshaven.com slash listen. Really gotta give that one a listen. Yeah, it's it's good. Uh, I, I really enjoyed it. A lot of people found it very insightful and helpful. Good, good. And catch Jimmy on Twitter. That's probably a good place, eh? Yeah, that's probably... I, I have Facebook for uh, Jimmy's Table, but not too many people interact on it. It's like mm -hmm. Facebook really in, it limits your ability on a page to communicate to your audience. And it's Yeah, I find that too. Yeah, like I'll post something. I have like 150 followers on my page yeah. or on Facebook, and like it'll say audience reach 30. I'm like, well, that's depressing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, it is. It seems like most of the people who actually listen to my podcast interact with me on Twitter. So, okay. And your you, what's your Twitter hand, handle? It's just go to jimmystable.com. I couldn't tell you actually. I, I know I have my name, Jimmy Humphrey. And I originally signed up for Twitter kind of backwards, so it kind of jacked up the Jimmy's table thing. I think it's at table Jimmy mm, or yeah. something like. So just look up Jimmy Humphrey or just prefer, just go to jimmystable.com. There's a Twitter icon there. And, and um, you know, anybody out there who's an artist, I want some fan art of Jimmy the talking table. <laughs> they can become part of the uh, Air Smudge Collaborative. There you go. There you go. Um, find me on Twitter um, at Bridge Levoit, spelled just like it is in the podcast notes or whatever. Much love, everybody. Thank you for listening and thank you for joining me, Jimmy. Glad to be here. It's fun. Yeah. Air smudge.
Cat Uncaged by Bridge Live What on Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Play, or Deezer. Not sure what Deezer is. Anyone know what Deezer is? Sounds like it should be a cover band for Weezer.